Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing? Have you eased into actual people yet? Because it, I don't know about you, but this is the first time I've been in a space where there's, there's actual real people. It's, it's quite overwhelming at first, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting some nods. I, I've basically spent 18 months talking to the small green dot on my laptop. So you guys, you don't have to be super responsive to beat that, just so you know. So that's good. You can relax. Don't feel any pressure. Um, but it's really, really good to be here. So let me, I've, I, you had the quick intro. I should say that I am not the Kate Middleton who is married to Prince William. Many of you will have heard me speak before, but um, it's just really good to be clear about that at the beginning, although as my kids do say, she is both prettier and younger than me, which is good. You can always rely on your kids to just bring you back down to earth, can't you? So I'm a psychologist by background, uh, started out as a medic, psychologist, I'm also a church leader, and um, as you've just heard, one of the directors of the Mind and Soul Foundation. And we are an organization who are passionate about mental and emotional well-being. And whilst that is about the illness end of the spectrum, much more, much more importantly, it's about something bigger. It's about what does it mean to live life well? What does it mean to manage the ups and downs and the highs and lows that normal life will throw at you and get through those things well? What does it mean to not just survive, but maybe even thrive in spite of those things? So we are passionate about talking about wellness as well as illness and trying to equip people and talk about some of the tough stuff to do with emotional and mental health, emotions and grief and the sort of messy moments that so many of us will experience at some point in part of our life and, and the journey that life takes us on. And Headstrong is a fairly new project that we started with young people. It was launched on the 1st of September. So just under a year ago as a response to the pandemic to create an online space for young people that did the same thing. Because if all we do is talk about illness, we're spending our whole time thinking about the thing that isn't what we want for people. So we do need to talk illness and it's so good that we're having more conversations about that stuff. But also we need to equip and grow a generation of children and young people who are resilient enough and tough enough to manage what is, let's face it, a slightly crazy world at the moment, right? And so global pandemic has been a really unusual example. I was just saying to someone, my kids are like, hey, mom, the whole world gets miserable. Suddenly you're really popular. I'm like, that is, that is true. I've never been more popular. But, so it's an unusual example, a slightly, let's hope it's like a one-off. But it is of just the normal challenges that life will bring and the things that we will hit. And I guess one of the things that's been most difficult about the pandemic is that life has felt so out of control in that, that really unusual way. Like, I don't know about you, but who ever thought there would be a moment when you couldn't send your kids to school? 
I mean, are you kidding me? I was literally, I remember the last day with my son who is nine, my daughter is uh, 16. And by the way, if I tell any stories with them, you should know that they get commission whenever they're mentioned in my talks. So don't feel bad for them. They make a lot of money sometimes out of this stuff. So, and they've made a lot less in the last 18 months. So uh, yeah, don't feel bad for them. But yeah, that moment when I realized this was my son's last day at school, we didn't know when he's gonna be able to go back. That, that's crazy, the, the degree of lack of control for yourselves, for your families, just not knowing what the future will bring, the uncertainty, and unique challenges like the pandemic. I mean, gosh, that makes life extra fun, doesn't it? Because we really don't know what could happen on any given day. That's great. We're, I, with two kids in school, I, like many of you, we've had our own little journeys through that periods of isolation the, the regular trips down to the local PCR testing zone, it's, it's been an extra joy. And the problem is, is that did you know as human beings, we actually do have an inbuilt need to be in control. For your, for your well-being, we know that humans actually really struggle if they feel out of control. And it's interesting because as a psychologist, I know that from the research and from the scientific wisdom that we've gained over the years and decades. But as people of faith, if you're a Bible person, there's a really interesting perspective as to why, if you look back at our origin stories way back in Genesis, and whether you believe that that's like a literal account, whether you believe that it's a fable that teaches some important truths, whether that's your faith or not, it's really interesting because basically what happens is that God creates this amazing world from nothing. But it's not just nothing. If you read the original Hebrew, it is from chaos, from disorder, from a messy swirl of stuff that is completely out of control. The creation story is one about the balance between chaos and control and disorder and order, and God takes that chaos and brings out of it creative beauty but there's continually a tension to be held, you know. Chaos instinctively, intrinsically bubbles up from within creation and there's that sense of having to hold the tension. And right at the beginning of that story, when humans have been created, God tells them to go and multiply. That's a whole other seminar. But then he gives them one other instruction. He says that they should subdue the earth. And actually, the ancient Hebrew word that's used there means take authority, hold the control. So we are designed to oversee all of creation and hold that balance between chaos and control, order and disorder. So it's really interesting that in the makeup of our human mind, we all find it tough if we're out of control. I know some of you might think, no, 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 no. I, I know people who really need to be in control. We talk about control freaks, don't we? I don't know, maybe it's been a long pandemic. Maybe all your CD, no, we don't, nobody has CDs anymore. What am I talking about? Maybe all your books are in like alphabetical order. Has anybody put them in like color categories in their bookshelves? You know, I, I, I tidied my office in isolation, which is the first time I've done that in a very long time. So there's a span, depending on your personality, of how important control is. But we all have that intrinsic need. We're all control freaks in some way. 
And the problem is there is always going to be stuff that you can't control, things where we don't know how it's going to turn out. You can't guarantee what's going to happen even though you've done everything you can. You've got your fingers crossed. You're praying really hard, but you can't control it. We've got exam results coming out, haven't we, for young people and frighteningly soon. That's such a good example. You study for an exam. You sit the exam. You do your best. You're pretty sure it's gone okay, but till the moment you get that outcome, you don't know. And that is where anxiety often kicks in. Because anxiety is an emotion that your brain uses to grab your attention and warn you that something significant might happen. It's not saying it definitely will. It's just saying it might. You should pay attention to it. You should keep your eye on this. So it's like a smoke alarm. Many of us will have smoke alarms in our house. The job of a smoke alarm is to grab your attention because something might be important. And that's how anxiety works in your brain. And so it triggers lots of changes. There's a complex physiological system in your brain and through your whole body, which is how anxiety does that. So it ramps up the focus and it diverts your focus in your mind to the thing that it's directing you to. It also causes a dramatic physiological change in your body. And so you feel it, you notice it, don't you? You're like, oh man, I've got those like butterflies in my stomach, I'm feeling really fidgety, I'm on edge, I can't relax. Because your brain is trying to do everything it can to, to make you ready. And that grabs your attention because it literally distracts you, like what's going on? Is there something important somewhere that I should be doing something about? But it also sets you up in case you do need to act or react. You may have heard of the fight or flight system. And that's what anxiety is harnessing. But it also, importantly, triggers your analytical brain to figure out like what is causing this. And very importantly, do I need to do something or not? So if every time the smoke alarm went off, you ran outside and phoned the fire brigade, certainly in my house, there'd be a lot of false alarms. The last time my fire alarm went off, it was because my son tried to toast a croissant in the toaster. Doesn't work, just by the way, if you want to try that. Creates quite a lot of smoke. And so sometimes when your brain triggers anxiety, there's something you need to do. But an awful lot of the time, actually, when your analytical brain kicks in, all we need to do is the psychological equivalent of the smoke alarm dance. You know the smoke alarm dance, right? Yeah, thank you very much. Somebody always does it. That's the smoke alarm dance. Well, it is in my house. Like After like 16 months of pandemic, my kids are so resigned to doing that. They just they get in it straight away. So it's about emotionally pressing the reset button, like, thanks for warning me, but I've got this covered. And what's important that we realize here is that emotions have a purpose, even anxiety, which is such a difficult one. In fact, more than just having a purpose, anxiety is essential. So at the base of it, anxiety, though we talk about it so often as a a clinical problem, an illness, it's actually an essential human emotion. I have a nine-year-old son. Believe me, that kid needs a bit more anxiety. He should be just a little bit more aware that he might die from a lot of the things that he seems to think are a good idea. Anxiety is essential. 
And so what we have to do is understand its purpose and the way it was designed to act, but also understand why and when it can become so problematic. You see, the thing is, it's designed to be really hard to ignore because its job is to get your attention. So you can see immediately how it might become problematic if life is thrown a lot at you. And anxiety is particularly difficult when life is complex or busy or there's just a lot on. So that same physiological system that I've talked about is the one that your, your body and your brain uses in times of stress. Now, when, as a psychologist, when I say stress, I don't just mean distress. I mean anything that requires your brain or your body to act or react, anything that might require your attention. So some of the most stressful times in life are the best times. You know, moving house, moving to a new area, having kids, getting married. These things are all hopefully great, but they also raise your stress level because they're complications. They're change. They're things you have to learn or attend to or, or adjust the way that you're doing life. So in times when stress is higher, it's like our baseline on that system rises. And of course, pandemic is a perfect example of that. You know, so much change, so much that's just not normal. You know, your brain uses routine and rhythm and just the tedium of everyday life to keep your baseline stress level low. Because your normal life is like climbing a wall. You do it every week. You don't really have to think about most of it in brain terms. It's like you're climbing a wall, but you know the handholds. You've done it before. You'll do it again. It's easy. Pandemic was like suddenly all the handholds are gone. And by the way, it's a different wall. And by the way, it changes all the time. So you're halfway up it, and there's a boulder you've never encountered before. So everybody's stress level rose. Everything was different. Even if your pandemic experience was furlough or shielding and just, just week after week after week of tedium and isolation, that is surprisingly stressful for your brain. Trying to figure out how to get through yet another day. That's work, even if you're bored stiff. And, and dealing with the monotony and the relentlessness of isolation and separation actually is really stressful and tough for your mind. And the second problem with anxiety is that we all have a crisis point on that physiological system. It's like, if you think of it like a water level, there comes a point where if this goes any higher, I'm literally going to go under. It's going to exceed my brain's genuine capacity to cope with everything it's trying to keep track of. And when you get to that point, your brain goes into a kind of emergency mode because it's like we are on the edge of, of being completely overwhelmed here. And it changes the way that your mind works. Because it's, if you like, your, your brain is now in a kind of just act first, think later. This is not the time to think complex things. Just deal with whatever it is that has got you into this place. And you can think about it, deal with it later. So, so you've got this potentially really difficult combinations of things going on when you're in overwhelm, in that underwater zone, the emergency zone of your brain. Because on the one hand, your brain is using anxiety and that physiological antsiness that you're experiencing 
to say to you, just do something, you must do something. And you feel that urgency, that panic, that suffocating feeling of I've got to do something. But of course, at the same time, your thinking brain is switched right down because your brain just wants you to act almost out of instinct. So you can't think of anything to do. It feels overwhelming. It feels impossible. It feels like a nightmare. And that's what can happen when you're pushed into overwhelm. And do you know what? Through pandemic, because of the stress and just all the difference, I would say many of us in this room, and I'm including myself on this, spent weeks, if not months, living on the edge of overwhelm. We were right at the edge of our bandwidth. There was so much going on that we were dealing with. And the thing is, when you're at this place, little things become big things where anxiety is concerned. So something that you usually would have been able to manage absolutely fine pushes you into the overwhelm zone, into panic. I've spoken to so many people who've never had any problems with anxiety who are saying, like, what, what is wrong with me? Like, what's this weird thing? I'm like, ah, it's anxiety. And what we've got to understand is how that's in part our, our brain's natural physiology, our normal reaction to a really, really not normal circumstance. And the thing is that sometimes if we're out of control and there's bad stuff, tough stuff going on there, on top of that, what it triggers, um, we know from psychology, is this feeling that we call despair. Because when you're in that space and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you must do something but you can't do anything and actually there's an outside situation that you cannot control and you cannot change, it's very, very easy to hit despair. And all the more so if you're tired, I mean, pandemic's gone on for flipping ages, hasn't it? And it's at first, you know, in the first month or so, everybody's all very jolly and they're all, you know, going on WhatsApp groups with their neighbours and we're all like, come along, let's manage this together. By, by January this year, everybody's just like, no, I, we've exceeded our capacity to cope with this. Your brain is exhausted and that makes despair much more likely. I think there's a couple of things to understand about that space. What I would say to you, if you're in overwhelm and if you're feeling that despair, despair is so powerful. It saps your motivation for anything. You just feel like you can't face doing anything. And I would say to you, know that things are almost definitely not as bad as they feel in that moment. It's really important to understand, to, to call it, I am in overwhelm. This is why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. Because when your thinking brain is switched down, your thinking goes very binary, like black or white, one thing or another. So things are good or bad, success or failure. People are either for you or against you. And, and guess what? Because you're anxious, your brain's a little bit twitchy it's much more likely to assume the negative of each one of those pairs. So in a bad moment, not only are you stressed out, not only are you exhausted, not only are you underwater in overwhelm, but it feels like you're a rubbish person, everything you do fails, and everyone is against you. It's quite rubbish. So we need to recognize what's happening to us. Anxiety causes more illness than perhaps any other emotion. And perhaps in a world where even before the pandemic, so many of us were pushing the limits in terms of how much stress we were trying to manage, how much life was throwing at us, 
Because sometimes stress is things you can choose or that you've made a decision to do, but sometimes life is just crazy, isn't it? I mean, some of you might be like me. I'm in that space where I still have relatively young kids and I'm also caring for elderly parents. You know, there are a lot of people depending on me. Sometimes it just feels a little bit overwhelming. And what we need to do is recognize when we've been pushed into that space and try not to get drawn in. Will spoke yesterday about, can you hold your emotions without fear? It's an interesting thing to ponder as you go through the rest of the afternoon. How do we hold anxiety without being afraid of it? How do we hold it so we can say, this is what I'm feeling and I understand why, but I'm not gonna let it freak me out. So how do we deal with anxiety? How do we fear less? Because you can't become fearless because it's a normal human emotion and it's essential for you to live your life well. So how do we fear less? How do we manage our anxiety well? And I wanna share a story with you now, which is actually one from one of the gospel accounts from the life of Jesus and his disciples. So you may be familiar with the story if you're from that background, but if not, don't worry, I'll like talk you through the rough points of what happens. But it's a really good model of how to manage anxiety. And it's a moment when the disciples get pushed completely into that overwhelm zone. So a bit of background, they have uh, had some pretty stressful news. You can look this up, it's Matthew 14 or Mark 6 if you want to look it up later. But they've had a pretty stressful day. Life is very busy and chaotic, lots is going on, but also they've heard some really bad news because they've heard that a guy called John the Baptist, who was also a teacher like they are, has just been, they've just heard the news that he's been murdered, his head was cut off. And literally the news has just got to them. So they're in that, there's been a big emotional trigger. They are on the edge of that overwhelm zone. And they're in a very busy place with lots going on. So Jesus, perhaps recognizing that they need some quiet, some space to process, they need to drop that physiological level, he suggests that they go off in search of someplace quiet. But people follow them. People needs follow them. Responsibility follows them. How often was pandemic like that? Like you are so aware you need a rest, you need a break, but there's just so much you have to do. Sometimes that happens. And so Jesus has to teach all these people, thousands of people, and then it turns out they didn't even bring dinner. I mean, the parent in me gets that. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't bring a coat? Do I have to think of everything? Jesus must have felt a little bit like that. So he pulls off one of the most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. And then he is clearly still really needing some quiet alone time because he says to the disciples, you guys get into a boat, sail across the lake. I am going into the mountains for some headspace me time. And it's funny because if you look at the Greek language in the telling of this story, the disciples really didn't want to go. And it's like they knew that lake, the Sea of Galilee, is renowned for storms that blow up in the night. We had a bit of a storm here the other night, didn't we? So you can probably visualize that quite well. I don't need to go into too much detail. But also... The people at the time were very wary of the potential power of water. In fact, the, uh, the Hebrew word for water has the same root as the word for chaos. 
So basically what Jesus is doing is saying to the disciples, I want you to get into this boat and I want you to sail into almost inevitable chaos. And they're a little bit reluctant. And, and you know what? They do sail into a tough time. The story tells us the wind is against them. They're fighting against it. I'm really not like a boat person. I literally have got seasick before on a canal. So I don't really do boats, but I cycle a lot. I've been very much enjoying biking around here while I've been here. And, and I know what it's like when you're cycling into the wind and the wind is against you. It's exhausting. And it's not just physically tough. There's something emotionally exhausting about just feeling like you're fighting, you're getting nowhere. It's that control thing again. It's so easy to start to feel despair to rise. And we can tell that they're in overwhelm in that moment because what happens, perhaps a little bit unexpectedly to be fair on them, is that Jesus walks out across the water to them and they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. They completely freak out. Now, as I say, I'll give them fair dues that it was a little bit unexpected. But this was their best friend. How could they not recognize him? It's a sign that they're in overwhelm. They're not thinking clearly. They are panicked. They are freaking out. And of course, he says to them, do not fear. So what, what is this about? I mean, does Jesus need to get with the whole it's okay not to be okay thing? Is he trying to tell them not to have anxiety? Surely not. No. What I would like to do is explain to you what he is saying. You know, so often people quote verses from the Bible like, do not fear. Like, if you were a good enough person or a really proper Christian or person of faith, you wouldn't be behaving like you are now. You'd be sailing through this utter nightmare without it even touching. You'd be like Teflon lady or Teflon man, able to manage anything without it hitting you. That's not how the human brain works. If life is busy or tough or demanding, or uncertain, you will experience anxiety. So let's understand number one. If I'm going to tell you five things, if you want to keep count, to remember about anxiety. And number one is that anxiety is inevitable. But there is a difference between anxiety and panic. So you may have heard of this guy called Alex Honnold. He's a free climber. He's one of these people who climbs like very big mountains with no ropes or anything. This, as a parent, feels to me like one of the things I would probably want my son not to do. But he, he's amazing. And, of course, you may have seen Free Solo, which was a, like a docu-movie that came out what, a few years ago now about his climb of El Capitan, which is this amazing mountain in America. Anyway, in that documentary, he talks a lot about anxiety because I guess people are always saying to him, like, are you crazy? And this is what he has to say about it. He says, the key thing thinking about fear is to differentiate between real justified fear and fake anxiety. Fear is a physiological response, your body basically sending you a signal in the same way that hunger is a signal or sleepiness is a signal. Whether you choose to act or not is up to you. Fear doesn't have to rule you. Now, that is a very different way of thinking about fear. Fear is a warning signal, but it's something that you can feel in control of. You can hold it, and you can think through what is it that's causing the fear and anxiety. And what that means is that the initial emotion, like anxiety, might not be a choice, but what you do next is. 
And so when we're in situations that are by definition going to trigger a lot of anxiety and fear, we can learn how to manage those things and how to act and react to drop that physiological level, to try and keep ourselves out of overwhelm. Pandemic has been a huge practice of doing that, trying to keep yourself and those you love afloat in a time that has been emotionally really, really tough. And I've spent a lot of time talking about practical tips and tricks. What do you do if life is pushing you close to overwhelm and anxiety is a problem because it doesn't have to rule you, although it can be really difficult. And the word Jesus uses when he says to the disciples, do not fear, is a really interesting one. We translate it in English just as fear, but actually it's this Greek word that literally refers to a very specific type of fear. And it refers to the, the emotion and the thing when you, the, that you experience when you feel like your, all of your capacity to cope with this situation has been exceeded. When you feel like your only solution is that you need to run, get out, bail somehow. It's talking about overwhelm and panic. So Jesus isn't saying, don't be anxious, you idiots. What's wrong with you? Pull yourself together. This is not a reprimand. It's a reassurance. He's saying to them, I know you're exhausted and this has been really tough and you feel like you might go under. And and when he walks out to them, the, the story tells us that they've been battling a long time, but they're in this awful place where they've come a long way, but they realize they still have a long way to go. And he's saying, don't worry, you, you, you're going to be okay. You're not going to drown here. Don't panic. So we don't need to fear less. It's about how we manage that moment when we're about to be pushed into overwhelm. It's such an important skill to have. Because the second thing that I want you to know about anxiety is that fear is not the same thing as truth. In those moments when you're in overwhelm, your brain is telling you that you are rubbish, everyone's against you, the worst is definitely going to happen, everything's hopeless. That is not true. Your brain has started to be an unreliable source of information. And that's what, it's such a hard thing to do when you feel overwhelmed. But to think to yourself, if I could just do something in this moment that will drop my anxiety level, drop my stress level, even if that's just getting outside, quick cup of tea on the back step. I often say to people, get somewhere you can see the sky, watch the clouds, count the stars. It's amazing how quickly you start to just feel a little bit bit better. Like Things are still tough. The situation you're dealing with hasn't changed, but if you're not in overwhelm, you're going to be in a much better place to manage it well. And what Jesus says to them, really interesting, he says, take courage. Now, what he does there is uses an old saying, which we don't really have in English, but I and my family, we used to live in France, and interestingly, they do have it in France. So in France, if you're going to sit an exam or an interview or something, you don't say good luck. What you say is bon courage, which literally is be of good courage. And the difference, I as a psychologist, I absolutely love it, because good luck means like, good luck. If this is a disaster, you're in real trouble, but hey, let's hope it goes well, but you're not in control. Bon courage take courage means you've got this come on when I say to my kids as they're going into something because we still say it I will say bon courage what I'm saying is I know you've studied hard you're awesome you are so capable come on 
I know this is uncertain and you're feeling anxious, but you can do it. You know, when life tries to throw you off balance, sometimes the difference is, do you believe in yourself or not? Do you draw on the fact that you are actually so much more capable than you believe in that moment? A huge part of managing anxiety is what's called self-efficacy. It's having as part of your identity a basic belief that you are capable. Maybe you can't change the global situation, but learning things that you can do to manage the anxiety that it's triggering. So practical things in a moment to drop anxiety level, managing things like panic attacks and understanding them better. And, and you can look up more information on either the Minotaur website or the Headstrong website, which you'll see up at the end of here if you want more information on these things. But also, in moments when life feels out of control, you can play with your brain's love of control to help you feel better. So it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's not weird because it makes perfect sense. But when you feel out of control, particularly if you're in that awful despair space, I call it the swamp zone. Because once you get in, it's really hard to get out and you often need someone to give you a hand and maybe pull on a rope. But when you're in that space, doing something that will help your brain feel more in control, feel that little, that little flicker of control, it will lift your mood. So that might be, remember the creation story, turning chaos into order. So it might be tidying something, sorting something out. It could be completing something. Control is all about feeling that you've got somewhere, you're achieving something. Another reason why pandemic was tough, particularly if you were shielding or furloughed. So, so doing a craft or just anything where you feel like you've got to the end of something, you've achieved something, going for a walk and following a planned route, say. Or, or something that's about restoring order. So um, I hear puzzles are great for this. Personally, I hate puzzles. I think it would have pushed me over the edge in pandemic. But people doing a puzzle, doing Lego for kids and teens, stuff like that. Even something silly, like putting, if you've got one of those massive tubs of Lego, put it in color piles and then put the colors in bags. I, I promise you, you will feel a lot better. The, the, the wider situation you've been dealing with has not changed, but your brain has just been reminded there are some things that you can influence. My worst day in pandemic, when I did just feel really rough, I sorted out my spice drawer. And you know, at the end of that, had I solved global pandemic? No. But I did feel a little bit better. And interestingly, what it did is it just lifted my mood enough that then I phoned a friend because we were in the zone where you could go out walking with one other person. I was like, mate, can we, can we go for a walk? And I'm having kind of a down day. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't sorted the spice drawer. Also, turns out I had a lot of cumin, which I did not need. Anyway. <laughs> Number four, then, of what Jesus is teaching them. He says, take courage. Why? Because I am with you. And, and emotions and overwhelm are always more challenging if you feel like your own. Did you know another thing about the basic design of the human brain is you are not designed to do this on your own. Connection and feeling like we're understood by other people who love us is so intrinsically important. I could talk to you for hours about just how devastating the isolation and disconnecting disconnection in the midst of pandemic was for so many people 
and the psychology behind that. The loss of physical touch and the impact that has on your brain. Just suffice to say, there's good reasons why that was so tough. We need to be with other people. And in pandemic, we had this awful double whammy of a tough, stressful situation and also the loss of many of the things that we would normally do to, to just instinctively help ourselves feel better and manage it. But now we can reconnect. But some of those friendships may have been, may have been under pressure due to the pandemic. So some of us do need to reconnect in this time. And I, I speak to a lot of people who are like, yeah, do you know what, Kate, that, actually that person who I thought was my best friend, they just weren't there for me, they vanished. And, and I'm thinking maybe just let it go. I would really encourage you, if you have friendships, relationships that struggled in the pandemic, give them the space, recognize it was a crazy time, connect. And, and don't try and have that super in-depth, intense conversation the first time you see someone for over a year. Just reconnect first, and then maybe there will be a point where there's a good conversation to be had about what happened there. You know, so many people were just so busy trying to keep themselves afloat, they, they couldn't think about other people. And, and there's all sorts of stuff around how pandemic Im impacted friendship. Sometimes in life, we, we need to learn how to let other people not be perfect. And it's really hard because we so wanted them to be perfect and be there for us. But I don't know about you, but I did not handle pandemic perfectly. There, there are many stories my kids could tell you about the times when I lost it. I, I over pandemic uh, broke. So far, I think the current rating is two glasses, one Alexa machine and a printer. Although I maintained the printer was already broken, I was just cross with it because it wasn't working. But we all had moments in pandemic where we were overwhelmed and therefore we didn't react like the best versions of ourselves. So let's let people not have been perfect. Let's let ourselves not have been perfect. Let's reconnect. But of course, Ultimately, Jesus says they don't need to fear. Why? Because he is with them. And let's recognize that in these moments, you know, pandemic pushed us to the end of ourselves, to the, to the absolute limit. It pushed us to the limit of our capacity, the limit of our control, the limit of our creativity as we just kept trying to come up with new ways around all of these restrictions it was so hard. But the question is, when you reach the end of yourself, is that the end? When you reach the end of human cleverness, is that the end? If, if you put your hope and your faith and your trust in human beings, politicians and policies and promises, guess what? It turns out they have limits and they weren't perfect either and they never will be. But what Jesus says to them is, I am here. He's saying, when you reach the end of yourself, that's not the end. You can draw on something bigger and better and beyond yourself. When you hit overwhelm, you're not going to drown because it isn't just about you and your capacity to control and cope with this situation. When we realize that God is with us, and when we learn how to intentionally change the way we're acting and reacting as a result, it changes everything. But it's a learning curve, isn't it? I love what happens next in this story. So there's this guy called Peter. He's one of the disciples. I love Peter. He's really, he's impulsive. He's impetuous. He talks a lot without thinking first. He gets a lot of things right. He also gets some classic things wrong. 
But in this situation, we see the best of his personality because I'm quite risk-averse, me, but Peter's like, in this moment, he realizes the enormity of what Jesus is saying. If, if actually my capacity to cope isn't just my capacity, if I can draw on God, I could do anything. So he says to Jesus, if it's really you, call me, and I'm coming out over the water to you. And like my son, who is also very impulsive, he's out of the boat and he's walking on water. The disciples must have been like, are you crazy? Literally a second before, they all thought they were going to drown. Now the guy's walking across the water. And remember, this is not a calm lake on a tranquil day. This is like it was on like Thursday night. It's like very windy. It's pitch black. It's raining. They thought they might not survive. And Peter chooses this moment to go and try and walk on water. He has released potential within himself that he never should have been able to release, except that it's not just about him. Sometimes life, especially pandemics, demands stuff of us that actually, do you know what? We cannot manage on our own. But the good news is you don't have to. But it's very human, isn't it? Because Peter's walking on water, it's amazing. And then the psychologist in me can see what happens. It's like his eyes are on Jesus, his focus is here, but his whole brain is trying to get his attention. His anxiety smoke alarm is going crazy. It's like, have you noticed the wind and the rain and the dark and the how deep the water? Are you kidding me? And, and in this moment, the anxiety wins and his focus drops from Jesus to the storm and his circumstance. And he realizes, I am so out of my depth here. What am I doing? I can't do this. And he literally starts to sink because he actually is out of his depth. And you know, this is the story of being a human being in life's tough times, pandemic or whatever it is that life is throwing at you. It is about balance. It's about moments of having to stop and deliberately and intentionally move your focus back to the bigger, better source of courage and capability than your own. So that's my fifth point, and it's a question. Where is your focus? Managing anxiety is often about moving your focus from the storm to your savior. But I'm not saying that glibly. Believe me, because I've also just done 16 months of pandemic. I had days where I had to shut my office door, just take a moment and so deliberately do that. Move my focus back to God. Take some time to pray. Do some deep breathing. Drop the stress level. Remember, I, am out, I feel out of my depth, but that's okay because God's with me. It, it's tough, isn't it? And life will throw moments like that at you. There's been some interesting stuff in the press recently, hasn't there, from some of our um, amazing sports people, men and women, amazing athletes, really struggling with the pressure that they're under. If you thought that you could ever be superhuman... I have bad news for you because if you are a human being, you will experience anxiety and there will be moments when that gets different. But if you are struggling, there are bigger and better sources that you can reach out to that can help get you through, that can keep you afloat. Even if you can't change the situation, even if you've got to wait and see how something plays out, even if life has called you to sail right into chaos or into a storm, you can get through, you can take courage. You can learn tips and tricks that will help you as a human, but also you can reach out to God. You know, there's this, um, 
there's this verse in the New Testament written by a guy called Paul, who is one of the early Christians who goes out teaching. And he's talking about worry, which is a sort of sibling of anxiety. When your brain, your analytical mind is switched on and you just can't switch it off. And, and you get those circular thoughts that go round and round and plague you. Makes me think of those disciples sailing across the water and the wind was against them. The, the Greek that's used literally says they were tortured by the wind. Some, have you ever felt tortured by your own thoughts? It, it's tough. And Paul is talking about anxiety and worry and he uses another word to describe anxiety and worry. You can see the verse up on the screen and it's another beautiful word. The Greek language is so poetic and evocative. And, and this word that he uses when he says don't, don't worry literally means those moments when there's so much going on that you're trying to keep track of that your mind feels pulled apart because you're just trying to keep, just like literally you're being torn into little pieces. And what he's saying is don't be in pieces, instead find peace. Because he's saying if you can hand that stuff over to God, you can draw on this bigger, better source and you can access a supernatural peace. Not superhuman because you're not going to be that. But you, if you say, do you know what, God, I can't do this on my own. And here's the stuff I'm struggling with. Something in that process enables you to experience a source of peace that is beyond thinking, beyond your human cleverness. That is so helpful when you're in moments of overwhelm and your brain is shutting down and you can't think clearly. Taking a moment in prayer to reconnect and move your focus back to God can be so helpful. I'm going to finish with a quick prayer in a moment. Um, but let's just remember, managing anxiety isn't that you're supposed to somehow eradicate it from your life and from your brain. Some of you may be disappointed about that. But I don't have the tools and tricks to tell you how to do that because it's part of the essential healthy working of your mind. But when it's pushing you to the limit, there are things that you can do to manage that. I love this quote from Brené Brown. She says this, she says, we're all afraid. We just need to get to the point where we understand that it doesn't mean we can't also be brave. In those moments when fear has flooded you and you're in the overwhelm zone and you feel like you're sinking and your brain has gone binary and it's telling you that you're rubbish, you're not. You are not a failure. Anxiety doesn't make you a failure. It just makes you human. And it's something that we all share. And if your life right now is particularly tough or challenging or chaotic, I think all of us probably has been recently, you've probably experienced much more of it than you've ever experienced before. If you are struggling or you know people who are struggling with the more clinical illness forms of anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, panic attacks, obsessive compulsive disorder, there are specific illnesses that are linked to anxiety. Do check out the website. You'll um, see, if we flick to that last slide, you'll see the uh, address, the website address of Mind and Soul Foundation. If you go there, you can find more information about all of those things. If you have young people, check out beheadstrong.uk or they can search Be Headstrong or any social media. If they go to the Youth Zone, we've got a bunch of free postcards they could take which have got the, the details of how to find the site and stuff on the back of them. Do check that stuff out.
And do be encouraged. But let's just take a moment to pray, if that's okay. So God, I just want to take a moment of of peace and a pause. And I just want to pray for anyone right now who actually, if they're honest, they're thinking, I, I am sinking. Like, no one knows it, but inside I feel that panic. I feel on the edge. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I'm struggling. I'm feeling out of control. And God, I just pray right now that you would send that sense of supernatural peace into this place. Maybe the circumstances can't be changed in this moment, but I pray that you would bring peace, bring relief from that relentless torture of worry and anxiety. And I pray for us all that we would know in those moments where we feel out of our depth that you are with us. I just, I just pray that they would hear your whisper right now that says, it's okay, I'm with you. You're not going to drown. You don't need to run. It's going to be okay. Take courage because I'm here. So I just ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, guys.